Living with depression is something I'm quite familiar with. My husband lives with depression and navigates the ebbs and flows of that journey. Circumstances make some seasons harder than others. There are times when it's harder to communicate with each other, moments when he retreats into his shell and it's very hard to get him out. And quite honestly, I didn't always have a ton of empathy for it, especially when we were younger in our relationship. A few weeks into the raging moments of COVID, he mentioned to me that his job was causing him to fall into a depressive state. Me, with my total fear of people losing their jobs left and right, had no sympathy for what he was going through. And so instead of creating space for what he needed, which was to seriously discuss how we could move him out of that environment, I simply dismissed his need and told him to buck up. I still remember vividly, years later, out of desperation of us not speaking the same language, finally Googling what someone with depression actually needed. And I found myself convicted with so many of the many asks he had asked of me, like making sure I asked him how he's feeling regularly, creating space for inputting info to help him process. And honestly, I felt like a jackass for not knowing. That's the thing though. As informed and empathetic as I'd like to be, I just didn't know. And because I didn't know, I didn't know how to manage and support him. And some of that is not my fault. I really didn't grow up in a world where people could live with depression. I never saw it. And what I saw of it was scary and devastating and not reflective of the real experiences of people living with depression. And that's really not fine, is it? Hey, I'm Rachel. And this is the It's Fine Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Amanda Armstrong, a neuroscience and trauma-informed anxiety and depression coach and founder of Rises We, a mental health coaching space. On this episode, we'll talk about depression from the lens of the nervous system, what it looks like for our nervous system to go from regulated to not, what high-functioning depression can look like, and why self-regulation can be helpful in managing depression. Are you ready? Let's get into it. So what I want to start for your audience with is an understanding of depression through a nervous system lens. A lot of my training is through something called the polyvagal theory. And so Deb Dana, who is one of the leaders in polyvagal theory, she often has us think about these three primary states of our nervous system on a ladder. So the three primary states of the nervous system that I'll refer to here are is regulation, right? Sometimes I call this the green zone. So this is at the top of the ladder. So this is where you're in that rest and digest. You are feeling like you are capable of handling whatever it is that's coming. And then in the middle of the ladder is your sympathetic state. So this is an activated state. Physiologically, what happens in your body when you're in this state is you're primed for mobility, right? We often call this your fight or flight state. And so that's sometimes what I'll call the yellow zone. And then at the bottom is the red zone. And so this is that shutdown state. If in that yellow zone, that's your activated mobilized state, the red zone is your immobilized, your shut down state. And that's where depression uh, often lives versus anxiety, which is in that yellow zone. So how to understand anxiety and depression on this spectrum versus these just like arbitrary diagnoses that you have to manage for your whole life is imagine that you're standing at the top of that ladder and you're holding a bucket. Now, that bucket represents the carrying capacity of your nervous system, right? We all understand 
that a bucket can only have so much water in it, so much weight in it before it either A, is overflowing, which is when we experience symptoms, or B, it's just too heavy. So we understand that this bucket has the capacity, and yet so often we think that we should have some limitless capacity and something's wrong with us or something's broken in us that we don't. So when the load in that bucket, when the load on your nervous system or the stress load is light, you're in a regulated state. You're at, on top of that ladder. You've got perspective. You think you can handle things. And as the stress load on your nervous system, whether that is daily stressors, mental stressors, or trauma that you've experienced in your life, gets added to that bucket, it gets heavier and heavier. And it, imagine it pushing you further and further down that nervous system ladder. So usually the first stop for us is that fight or flight state. Usually the first survival response is that we are going to try to fight off the stressors or run from them. And then what happens is when those stressors either get too big or they last too long, our nervous system basically goes, we can't fight it off. We can't run from it. So we need to shut down. And so we go into that red zone, aka where depression is. Other things live there too. Think about for this conversation, depression is this red zone. This is our nervous system in shutdown, right? And so this is also why so many people struggle with anxiety and depression. Because again, it's not necessarily that you have these two separate diagnoses. It's that you are constantly cycling between that activated yellow zone and then shutdown and then yellow zone and then red zone. When we hit that red zone, when we hit depression, it's truly because you probably hit like the top of your capacity in terms of like your nervous system being impacted. You're probably all of these different stressors are working together. And then that's what leads to a depressive state. Can you describe like maybe someone who is at the brink of depression, which I think you were saying is closer to the end of the yellow zone, and yeah. then what actually it looks like to physically experience depression or like maybe even the journey of getting there? Yeah. So with the yellow zone being that activated state, there's also something called a mixed state. So we've all almost kind of heard about like fight, flight, or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. So that line between the yellow and the red zone is where freeze exists. So freeze is what, based on, again, polyvagal theory, we refer to as a mixed state. So it's when you're stuck in both activation and shutdown at the same time. And so what freeze often looks like is it looks the same as shutdown. It often looks the same as depression, but it feels different, right? So freeze is when you are like, I have to do this thing, but I can't. When you think about texting your friend back, but you don't. When you, it's this like urgency and immobility. Like I'm so activated that I can't and I'm stuck. And a lot of times people will get stuck there before then getting to a place that's more apathetic, right? And so the yeah. difference from outside looking in, freeze and shutdown look very similar, but they can feel very different because one is so activated, you're stuck and frozen versus that red zone. And you know the difference because when you struggle with depression, when you're stuck in that red state, there is a sense of almost hopelessness. There yeah. is this like, Things that you used to enjoy, you don't anymore, not because your preferences are changing, but because you just, you're like, what's the point? You get a lot of thoughts around what's the point? 
it doesn't even matter, nobody cares about me. We often say your state determines your story. And so sometimes you can determine the state that your nervous system, your body is in based on the stories that your brain is telling you. So again, when you are in a green zone, you're thinking thoughts like, this might be hard, but I've got it. I'm connected. I feel supported. I'm capable. When you're in that red zone, it's this like, I have to right now or else. There's that urgency. Again, that orange zone, that mixed state, that free state is I have to right now, but I can't. It's that contradictory. I need to, I want to, but I don't. And then when we're in that red zone state, it's what's the point? What would high functioning depression like, right? Because I do think there are people who live with depression, but then are they just in that orange zone where like some areas they can, but they aren't able to be activated, right? At least in my experience, depression looks like I can't get out of bed. And so you, I think the challenge with that being like the way like community and like society thinks of depression means that people who might be in that super activated yellow or even in that orange, like they don't know that they need to seek help or get support so that they can avoid that. And that's the thing that I want to really get down to with the listeners here today is that I don't want anyone to get to a place where they're in the red zone and they can't get out of bed and they feel hopeless. Like the goal would be to really help identify and like before that and get the help that they need. It's totally a thing. And I lived it. My whole twenties was high functioning anxiety and completely unaddressed. Even when I went into my master's program to get my degree where I was studying depression and movement and whatever, I was doing it because I had a sister who was struggling and I really wanted to help her with her depression. Meanwhile, I have debilitating anxiety that I am not acknowledging because I'm high functioning and I'm praised for my over my overproduction, basically. But when I was in my mid-20s, I had, honestly, it was just a really bad breakup. And that's what kind of pushed me over the edge. And that was what caused me to go into this place of shutdown. But at no point in my depression was I not showing up to work or not showering or not. And people get there. And it's common to get there. And there's no shame in getting there. And so I would label my experience with depression as high functioning where no one from the outside knew. But I would wake up in the morning exhausted and I just call it willpower. I call it debilitating productivity-based self-worth that just was able, right? I was going through the motions as a survival response because it wasn't okay for me to have depression. It wasn't okay for me not to perform and to get to work and to do it. Like that was almost more threatening than anything else. And so I was able to wake up in the morning and just go through the motions to get to work. But I was waking up exhausted. I didn't want to go to work. Logically, I loved my job. Mm -hmm. I loved my job. I loved what I did. And yet I was just like, another day, here we go. And I'd show up to work. I was a personal trainer. I was with people all day long. I found it. I found a way when I was at my lowest to still show up and perform enough for the job, but it felt different. There was not the enjoyment there. It was just going through the motions and I just did the thing to check the box and I couldn't wait to just get home and numb. And that's what I would do is I would get home and I would either numb with sometimes honestly more work 
or I would numb with social media, or I would just numb with TV, there would be people reaching out to me and I would just, no, no thanks. And I'm an extrovert. I'm a social person. And so when you start to, I think a good, I think a word that we often use instead of depression is burnout. And I think burnout is more socially acceptable, but burnout also is that orange getting into that red zone, right? Where you are burnt out. You're on the brink of shutdown. And so if you would explain or use the term of I'm really burnt out right now, I'm feeling really burnt out with life or with work, I think that could be a good red flag to you that, ooh, we're working our way into that red zone right now. We're overwhelmed and close to shutdown. I actually have someone on the podcast who is a burnout expert. She talks about burnout being actually a systems related problem, which is not typically discussed. So like actually in the field and in the research, right, there has to be owners placed on the systems that cause burnout to happen. And that's Mm -hmm. the big distinction that like in media, we don't really talk about, right? Like when we're describing burnout right now and like the feelings of burnout, it's a very like you centered, right? But I want to address just the points that you made and highlight what I heard in terms of just like things to look out for. So I heard apathy. I heard a numbing. I heard like a disconnection from like your day to day, like going through the motions. I heard distancing or disassociation, right? Through like relationally not wanting to connect with others. Are there other kind of words that you would use to describe that high functioning state? I think disconnection can have a mental, a physical, a spiritual, a social aspect to it. That is one of kind of the most common flavors of that space is just disconnecting from your sense of self, from your sense of joy. Oftentimes I hear, I just don't feel like me anymore, right? There's me before anxiety or depression and now there's me now. And so this kind of distinction of who I remember being and I can't find that person right now. I can't feel like that person right now. Yeah. So let's say that someone is starting to feel this way. I think a lot of us see this as like, I'm laying in bed and I'm not able to get up thing. And it's a lot more than that. And it can happen in a way where you are high functioning as Amanda shared her story, but you're not really in your like best state, the green zone as Amanda yep. referred to. So I want to talk a little bit about if you're starting to notice some of these things, right? Some of the keywords that we called out and you think that you might be in the yellow or orange zone, right? You talked a little bit about leveraging like our current stressors, like our environmental daily stressors, right? You talked about trauma. And I think there was one more that you talked about that I can't remember right now. Can we talk a little bit about, let's say I am in this state. How would then would you work with a client to then help them identify what are those stressors and like what are those opportunities and how to help them support them as they navigate moving in back into the green zone. I do an exercise with my clients called the stress bucket exploration exercise. And essentially it's a picture of a bucket with a, yeah. a list of categories around. And we just, we do some nervous system regulation work so that we can get to a really safe space first, because mm-hmm. that's the only way that we can access curiosity And exploring all of these categories can be really dysregulating if done when you aren't feeling regulated yourself, when you aren't supported by a coach or a therapist or a friend or a partner. But we go through these categories to figure out what is this load on your nervous system. So that we start in the present moment. Okay, what does your home life stressors consume of? 
What are the decisions that you're responsible for making? What are the looming big decisions that are coming up in your life? What does your environment look like at home? What does your environment look and feel like at work? What are your work stressors? We talk about your internal environment. So we look at things like inflammatory foods, potentially gut health, et cetera, all of that, right? Our nervous system is scanning our internal and our external environment for stressors. We look at things like sedentariness, because you can be too sedentary. You also can be an over-exerciser. And if you are over-exercising, that can put a stress load on your nervous system as well. So we look at movement. I might've mentioned already, sleep's a really big one. Your inputs. So how much time are you spending on a computer? Do you feel like the content that you consume is uplifting for you or stressful for you? How often are you consuming that content? We look at Is there time spent outside versus inside? Natural light versus fluorescent light reads differently to our physiology. And so we take a long time together with clients to just put it all on paper, right? That awareness. And again, this is where the self-compassion really starts to click for my clients. They go, I didn't realize how much was in my bucket. Like, of course I'm down. And another analogy that I use all the time is I want you to imagine that you walk into a gym, right? And you're not somebody who is a big power lifter. You haven't been doing, you haven't been working with a personal trainer for years. And there is a 300 pound dumbbell on the floor or barbell. You wouldn't expect yourself to walk up and to pick it up. And you understand that if you tried really hard, you'd probably hurt yourself and it just wouldn't go well. And yet so many of us are walking around life with a 300 pound bucket and we expect ourselves to be able to carry it well. And nobody, you didn't train for that bucket. Nobody taught you how to handle the things that are in that bucket. And so of course it's hard, right? This, those two words I think are some of the most empowering words in someone's healing journey is this, of course, of course it's hard. Of course you're struggling. Of course this feels heavy. Look at what is in your bucket. And so that's the first step that we do with clients is to cultivate this sense of awareness, right? And again, we have to do this in a place where they can be regulated or to co-regulate to someone because also looking at that piece of paper can feel hopeless. Oh my gosh, look how much is in my bucket. I'm never going to be able to dig myself out of this. I totally agree. Like that self-awareness, which leads to self-compassion can be huge for people because I think one of the challenges, especially for people who live in its fun life, is that you're just chugging through life. You're doing everything. You're accepting it as it is. We don't get a lot of time as adults to just breathe and like actually look at all the different things that we have in our hands. Right. And so I would like to ask a little bit because I truly believe that this is why the work that you do, whether that be through coaching or talk therapy, like that type of environment is so critical to be able to create that self-compassion for yourself because you can't. I think that a lot of times it's very hard to look at your own life and be like, no, I do have too much. Like, I think it's very hard to have that introspection. You mentioned a little bit about creating like a regulated, like safe space through the body. Is that something that like you could talk a little bit more about or even just discuss like, why is that something that we don't necessarily have the tools to do so that we can then get into the space to be self-reflective, right? And then to have that awareness and compassion. Yeah. A lot of times we don't have those skills because they weren't modeled for us as children, right? If you didn't have parents that modeled self-regulation for you, you likely struggle with self-regulation as an adult. And so 
what self-regulation essentially means is that you have the ability to notice either activation or shutdown in your system, and then you know how to bring yourself back to that green zone. You know how to recalibrate yourself. Well, people listening to podcasts like yours or listening to podcasts like mine, right, lack self-regulation. We don't know how to recalibrate, and we're seeking answers through resources that you and I are creating. Yeah. And, and again, there's no shame in that. If I went to a tennis court right now, I would look like an idiot. No one's ever taught me how to play tennis, but I could hire a coach. I could work with somebody to teach me that skill. Self-regulation is also a skill. And so the way and the ways to move towards being a more self-regulated human, that's why there's so many different healing modalities out there. There's a lot of different ways for you to approach this as well. Our approach first is in and through your nervous system, right? These body-based things. So what some of those might look like is, and before anybody rolls their eyes that I'm going to mention breath work, stay with me because I'm going to give you the science behind it. (laughs) So when you understand your body's physiology, it's really cool. So every time you breathe, every time you inhale, your heart rate slightly speeds up. And every time you exhale, your heart rate slows down just a little bit. So If you exhale longer than you inhale, your heart rate is slower, just a little bit longer than it's faster, and that triggers your body's relaxation response. That tells your body, calm down, settle down. So that's how we can go from the yellow zone to feeling a little bit more calm and regulated. Just inversely, right? Because remember, the yellow zone is a mobilized state, so you want to pump your brakes a little bit. So an extended exhale breath might help shift your physiology enough to feel that. But if you're in depression, that's an immobilized state. You actually need to kind of zhuzh your nervous system. So you might do, so there's a breath practice called double breathing, and it's essentially two quick inhales, two quick exhales. It's, if you do that for 30 seconds to a minute, you're pumping a little bit of adrenaline in your body. You're starting to feel a little bit antsy. That immobilization, that physical stillness is not going to feel comfortable anymore. And so some of my clients, when they can recognize they're in more of a shutdown state, can turn to a breath practice like that. And that doesn't fix their depression, but that helps them to get out of bed. And then they can layer on another tool or another tool. And again, breath is just one tool and it's not a tool for everybody. But there are so many different things for us to look at. And so when I talk about like creating a safe space or creating regulation for yourself, exactly what that looks like is different for everybody. Everyone's nervous system has a unique need. And so part of the coaching I do is to help people identify what tools are the best for them. But to give your listeners just almost a little buffet, there is, there's, so there's different breath practices. We also can do different, what are called somatic practices. So kind of movement practices. So swaying is something that's really soothing. That repetitive rhythmic motion is soothing for our system. Shaking is how our body naturally discharges stress. And we see that in the animal world as well. We see other mammals. Yeah, dogs do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's so interesting. I just literally, I'm just thinking about my dog right now. But it, yeah, that's interesting. And that's how they discharge stress from the body to close a stress cycle so it doesn't get stored in their body. This is why animals and mammals, they're constantly traumatized, right? Think about animals in the woods. Think about a squirrel, right? They're constantly running for their life or fearing for their life, but they don't store that trauma because they have natural physiological ways to release that. Mm -hmm. And so it's why animals can experience traumatic instances all the time, but not live 
through that trauma. Their brains are also a little different than ours, so that plays into it. But essentially, we have these built-in mechanisms to process stress, and you'll watch children. So I have a three-year-old and a two-week-old now, and I will watch my three-year-old move his body, sway his body, do some of these things until he's socialized out of them because we sit at a desk all day, we go to school, et cetera. It's actually really normal and it drives parents bananas. But when you're right, why in the world do our toddlers seem to lose their mind and get so hyper right before bed? This is a way for them to self-regulate. This is actually really normal. They know that they're about to enter rest. And so they're bouncing off the walls as a way of discharging any of that energy from the day. And so a lot of this is innate and is intuitive to us, but it's been socialized out of us. Yeah, that is so fascinating. Like, I just like thinking about all the different ways that we're socialized out of some of these natural things. And so some of the ability to self-regulate is something that we can get taught out of as much as we can be taught it again. But like the unfortunate thing is like this self-regulation is so key for us to be able to function in our lives in a way that's like positive and allows us to be as living as fully as we can. I think so many of us are living unregulated and have no idea how to get to that place. So tools like these, which like truly I think, I do think it's hard to do this on your own, right? To be able to like, to be able to find these tools and like kudos to anyone who's been able to like listen to a ton of podcasts and read books and get self-regulated. Amazing job to you. But like, to me, this is like why it's so critical to be able to consider therapy or coaching or any type of tool that allows you to step outside of your zone here. What's been your biggest challenge, right? Fighting the stigma around the health with depression. And I think specifically around high-functioning depression. What has been the biggest challenge that you face? I think me personally was that I went a decade before I asked for help because I was high functioning. And the very things that I was praised for, right, was overperforming always. Amanda, it's amazing. You're able to take this many classes and work two jobs and like you just get so much done. And right. And so the thing that eventually created the chronic stress response that led to depression, I could not high function my way out of anymore. I was praised for. And so, of course, I kept doing it. And so I think that that was probably the hardest thing and also that lack of awareness. And so I love that today we spent so much time and conversation around, hey, if you're noticing some of these things, like just red flag them. They're not normal. It's not normal for you to wake up tired every single day. It's not normal for the tiniest thing to cause you to shut down. It's not normal for you to be overwhelmed. It's not normal for things that you used to love for you to just feel apathy towards now. And so I think that I had, for the sake of self-preservation, just been like, it's literally, I said, I'm fine for an entire decade. I'm fine. And I got to a point where at some point, everybody else's needs were so much more important than my own. There was like a complete self-abandonment. And so I almost distracted from my own struggles by just diving into fixing everybody else's. And so I think in terms of the stigma around it is, is that we just don't, we don't talk about it. And so there's a lack of awareness to recognize it in yourself. And then what a lot of my clients, especially I had a conversation with a new client and he essentially, he called me from work, right? He's going to work. 
And he goes home. He's like, I've got a wife at home. I've got four kids at home. He's, and I get home and I just watch TV. I just zone out. And I don't want to be that dad. I don't want to be that partner. But I just can't. I get home and I can't handle one more thing. What I love about this conversation and I, what I hope folks gather from this today is like, just notice. Notice that there is that what you're experiencing isn't the way you have to live. You don't have to live with apathy or disconnection or any of these things, right? That doesn't have to be your normal. And that there are people and resources and tools that might be able to change the way that you live. Amanda, as we close today, what would you say is not fine about living with some of this, living in this unregulated, activated, sometimes shut down state? What's not fine about it is that it robs you of living your life. Each and every one of you deserves so much more than to just get through your day. If you feel like you're just getting through your day, you're, that's not the life that you deserve to live. And also what's not fine is that these anxiety and depression, it doesn't just live in your head. It also wreaks havoc on your body. It is the root of some autoimmune conditions, chronic pain, disease, gut issues, IBS, et cetera. And so what's not fine is that when this goes unaddressed, it almost always gets worse. And each and every one of you deserve a safe space, deserves healing, and deserves a life on the other side of these struggles. And there is for every single person tools that can be helpful and life on the other side of the deepest, darkest pits of depression. Thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing that. Because ultimately, my goal in doing this series is to help folks start identifying where they can get resources, tools, and support. You don't have to go through this alone. If you are struggling or if you feel like your life is not the life that you imagined that you'd have at this point or at this stage of your journey, there is hope for you. The one time I had found myself in a depressive place was when I essentially ran myself into the ground. I had experienced a loss of a friendship. I had ran a super successful event for my college and my nervous system was shot. I cried often and overwhelmingly, and all I wanted to do was sleep. At the time, I didn't know it was time for me to look at my life, to see where I was super not functioning, where I was yellow, and most likely red, and do something about it. I'm really always going to be about helping you try to improve your life from better than fine. And I grew up in a world where depression was unfathomable, that I can't get out of bed, the, all the really dark and hard stuff that real people experience. But what Amanda is telling us today is that often we're all living and operating from green, yellow to yellow to red, meaning that we have so much on our plates that we just don't have space for ourselves and that we don't give ourselves enough grace to find support, that we're just getting by when we don't have to. And that's all I hope for you, that you do yourself the service of fighting for your life, for fighting in that yellow, creating self-compassion for the green yellow, the yellow, and the red. You deserve it. It's time to make space, figure out what we need, and find the help that we can get. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me today. It means the absolute world that you would spend time listening to this podcast. Share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit from the message of not settling for fine anymore. Share it with your sister, your cousin, your friends, your mom, your dog, your partner. I don't care. I would love 
to get the word out about why we don't have to settle for fine anymore. I can't wait to see you again next week. Talk soon.